This morning, I want to just pick up on a trail that we commenced on a few weeks ago about being these people of, of uh, the kingdom of God. And by being kingdom people, we are invited by King Jesus into what he is doing. And with that, we become these non-anxious people who bring the good news of the rule and reign of God into our everyday life and all of the parts therein. And um, we, we, we don't live um, recklessly or with um, a sense of carelessness at all. In fact, we care deeply. We care deeply, but we know what to do when we do care deeply, which is we cast all our cares on to King Jesus because he is the non-anxious Lord, Saviour of all. And he invites us into relationship with him and what he's doing. And so it's, it's not wrong to care. It's not wrong to have an emotional sense of response to distressing realities around us or even distressing realities that might be taking place in us. It's what we do as non-anxious people with those cares that defines who we are and who we're in a relationship with. And so if you have been um, on a bit of a merry-go-round of anxiety, I would encourage you, I would encourage you to take those cares and bring them to King Jesus and in exchange let him give you his life to lead you through the things that you care so deeply about, okay? Rather than living in anxiety in response, we live in bringing our cares to King Jesus. So a couple of weeks ago, we started on this uh, little pathway about um, living in the future goodness of God's kingdom in the here and now of his um, rule and reign. And as a part of that, we use these three words. We said the, 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 the mission of God is unhurried, it's unstoppable, and it's unrelenting. And we started to talk about what would it look like if we actually partnered with the waves and the works of God in our life, in our time, in our town, in our nation, if we would partner with God as these non-anxious bringers of the kingdom, as if we're living in this unhurried, unstoppable and unrelenting goodness of God invading the world. Um, we use this little scripture in John chapter 5, and in John chapter 5, Jesus uses this fantastic statement where he says, I tell you the truth that as the son, I can do nothing by myself. I can only do what I see my father doing. Because whatever the father does, the son also does. And that, that was kind of like this first wave of invitation using that picture of the waves at the beach about intimacy with God. Jesus walked this intimate walk with God to the point where he was able to go about his daily comings and goings, relationships and interactions with this profound sense of I'm just in partnership with my father. I have an acute sensitivity to who he is and what he's doing and I'm just going with him in that and trusting him in that. And it's a wonderful experience to live as 
kingdom people who know how to ride the waves of God and God's love. And we found this little quote that we used from Derek Morphew, a vineyard theologian from South Africa. He says this, It's not possible to see the world, creation, mankind and life through the eyes of the kingdom and remain petty or small-minded. But when a man or woman's mind is shaped by the kingdom, they become great visionary and expansive thinkers. Because ultimately what happens is we no longer are fixated on ourself. Jesus has come and given us a whole new life and our heart is born again. And out of that we begin to live from this place of relationship with Jesus as Lord informing our life all of the time. And when you're with King Jesus, he's always interested in, A, yourself, because he's taken up residency in you and bring his kingdom to you and into your heart and transform you, but he's also interested in the people around you all at the same time. And this is the kingdom life where we get to be expanded by Jesus to be considerate, to be thinking of, to be engaging with, to be reaching towards, to allowing the Holy Spirit, as what was going on here this morning, creating vision for what the Father is doing beyond yourself and myself so that we can join him in how he's moving through the world. It's impossible, Derek says, and I agree with him, It's impossible to be connected to Jesus and then not become an expansive thinker. It's impossible. You will start to dream dreams. God will invade your heart and your mind with a sense of vision and purpose for your children, for your marriages, for your extended families, for the people in your street. It's like all of a sudden the other day we got a knock on the front door and this gentleman comes in and he's got all of these mangoes at the front door. And he says, oh, hi, I'm from, you know, about three, three across the road and about three doors down. He says, hi, I've got some mangoes. Would you like them? I said, oh, that's fantastic. Thanks, mate. I said, my name's Kirk. He says, oh, I'm Brian. I said, Brian, thank you very much for these mangoes. Well, so anyway, had a quick chat. I come inside and I say to the family, look at this. Brian gave us mangoes. And they're like, who's Brian? (laughs) And so I said, Brian's the guy that lives like one over and three down. And they're all like, we love Brian. And the next thing they know is they're all talking about, well, let's pray for Brian. (laughs) Let's write a card of thanks to Brian. The orientation of our life got shifted from being a recipient to be wanting to be one that expands and extends even through a simple moment like that God is always reaching out through us and expanding us to partner with him in what he's doing um, now the other day I um, I talked about or the last Sunday I was with you I talked about the fact that finance is an area that God wants to um, for us to partner with him in the wave of his goodness and finance is a very big part of our life. We need to know how to steward it, how to partner with God in it, and how to exercise this incredible resource for his great glory, our joy, and the benefit of the people that we live among. And this is what we're doing. Um, King David said it like this. He said, The earth is God's and everything in it. 
the world and those who live in it. Now, if God owns it all, even though the all of the world doesn't necessarily behave like God does own it, nonetheless, we believe the biblical story is that God has revealed himself to be the creator of all things and the sustainer of everything, all powers and principalities, even though some of them are in rebellion to him right now. We still believe that God is over all things. And Paul talks so convincingly all through the New Testament about how all those things hold together in the person of Jesus Christ. He is the center of all things and all things hold together in him. And so as we connect with Jesus, we connect with this big reality that God's alive and God's at work in the world and he's inviting us to expand our thinking and get a bigger bolder, more beautiful vision of what it means when you and I take some of the hard-earned resource that we've earned and put it in a bag or put it in a church. God's inviting us to be expanded in that conversation space in our lives, what I believe is right now. And yet he's calling us to join him to, to see how he does resource in his kingdom how he's doing it, not what how we think he should be doing it and responding that way, but now because he rules and reigns within us, we're allowing him to shape our responses to what he's doing. Um, here's a little thought of mine that I scratched out a few years back and I found it the other day. To reduce our thinking and our activity of giving God 10% of our finances as a vision to behold is simply too small a vision, especially when God has invited us to steward all of his creation with him as disciples of Jesus Christ. You, got, you, got, you can't separate the money thing from the big thing. You can't separate the money thing from the big thing. And I love that there's visitors in church today because I am absolutely fulfilling every suspicion of every visitor that ever comes to a church where they always go, oh, yeah, you go to a church and all they want to do is talk about money. Well, I am fulfilling that expectation today. And I pray that it's a blessing to you. But someone's got to do the money talk somewhere, sometime. It's like those awkward conversations you've got to have with you know, your teenage kids as they're growing up. So you've got to have the conversation sometime, so let's have the conversation. And um, so if you have your Bible with you, quickly open it up to Matthew chapter 6. And in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is telling some parables or some stories about the kingdom. And he says, um, Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, he says some truths. No one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Boom. Thank you, Jesus. You're talking there about the reality that they, there are two very powerful things going on that want to master us. Jesus is saying God wants to be our master. And Jesus is also saying, but if, if you're not allowing him to be the master, the money will master you. That will be your master. And money is a fairly um, relentless, powerful master. And funnily enough, money always wants to tell us, you don't have enough of me and you never will. 
And, and we spend all this time and energy and resource trying to still that conversation that money is having as our master. When Jesus is saying, let God be the master and the money thing will find its right order and place in relationship with him. Therefore, I tell you, Jesus says in verse 25, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear. Is not your life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? And can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how your father of the, fi- the, the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. And yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how, much, how will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Now, when you hear that, you know, we hear that you of little faith, we tend to hear that as negative. Actually, Jesus is actually pointing out, he's like, I see there's faith there. And it only takes a mustard seed. He's, he's saying, I see there's faith there. You don't have to turn up with the whole thing, the whole mustard tree. You just need to bring the seed of, here I am, God. I have a little bit of faith. So do not worry saying what you shall eat or what we will drink or what we will wear because the pagans run after these things and your heavenly Father knows you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow has enough worries of its own. Um, Each day has enough trouble of its own. Um, I just want to share with you just a few little thoughts here about my personal journey and um, and some of Nicole's journey with regards to being a steward of the kingdom and the resources that God's given us. As a, as a child, I was brought up with an understanding um, that money was very important, so much so that when I was a little kid, my mum gave me three little orange juice bottles and she put them in my, my bedroom and in orange juice bottle number one, she cut a little hole in the lid and on the front of it, she wrote the word serve. And then the next orange bottle, she cut a little hole in the lid and it it said um, save. And then the next little orange juice bottle was spend. And each week, my mum would give and dad would give me a few coins and they would say, now, serve, save and spend, serve, save and spend, manage your money, because if you don't, the money will manage you. Manage it. And so at a young age, I just got into this habit of everything that was coming to me, I would always just go, serve, save, spend. Now, there's conversations in each of those areas that we can unpack, but serve, save, spend. Serve was for God and his kingdom. Serve was for God and his work beyond yourself. I didn't know that as a kid. All I knew was serve was for God and I would take it to the little Methodist church on a Sunday and when the, when the plate went past, I would put it in. That's what serve equated to me. It was related to God and to the well-being of the church and whatever that church was doing. As a kid, I had a small framework, but that's what I had. Save, 
save was always for make sure you put some in there for another day because you're going to need some for down there. And so I would save. I would have to save for things that I liked that were beyond what I had in my spend jar. And I had to learn the principle of delayed gratification. Oh, my gosh, that's a killer today. But delayed gratification. I had to learn how to save for what I wanted. I still remember trying to... I had my eyes on like this tennis racket and it was a cracker of a tennis racket. I think it was about 45 bucks. But anyway, at the time, it was like way off the charts, amazing, expensive and all of that. But I had to save. And so what I had to do was I had to go and... I'd visit my nana who used to live down in Strathpine and I'd go and knock on her door and I'd say, can I wash your car? Can I mow your grass? And she'd give me five bucks and I'd put it into my save, save, so that I could get my tennis racket. And then there was the spend. That's because, you know, I used to like riding my little bike to school and along the way I'd go past the lolly shop and I'd pull in and I'd get 20 cents worth of this or that and in those days it was a whole bag full. But anyway, I could spend that however I wanted. But these three little things, these three little orange juice bottles, serve, save and spend, were practices that were from my family of origin. Now, let me tell you, I was listening to a podcast the other day of this guy who does all this great teaching, not in this area of finance, but just in the, in the area of emotional intelligence. And he said, Jesus may well live in your heart if you're a follower of Christ. He will live in your heart. But let me tell you, your grandfather still lives in your bones. And I was just, I just like, I had to think about that for a minute. And I thought, you know what, he's right. And then he went on to talk about how God, with the help of Christ, is transforming our lives from the very core of who we are right through every aspect of our life, our thought life, our emotional responses, how we do relationship, how we do money, how we do all sorts of stuff education and church and relationship, you name it. It's informed by Jesus in here. But he's coming in here and he's beginning to reinterpret and re-educate and reinform and reshape how we do this stuff. So Jesus lives in your heart with your money, but who was it that gave you your understanding of money? And it may well have been an absent parent or an absent grandparent. But in the absence, in the void of that, where did you go? Who did you go to? Where did you learn? Jesus wants to come and inform you. He's a good king. That's why he's come to save you, to show you how to live with these resources. Um, when Nick and I, uh, well, Nick and I, we love to give and give regularly. And we love to give more when it comes to our finances, particularly Nick. It's like one of her love languages is give, gift, gift giving. She just loves gift giving all the time, wherever we're going. It's like, we need to stop and get a gift. We need to stop and get these. And it's just all the time. And it's like, and, it, and, it, and the odd, odd occasion that, you know, a little bit of money, extra money might be coming in. It's like, oh, who can we give that to? <laughs> it's like, she's just constantly gift giving. It's a part of our financial life. But the reason why we live that way, it's because we've come into a revelation that Jesus has called us into his kingdom and he's freed us from the power of sin and shame and he's given us a whole new life to live, a life that has massive significance right here and right now and into the age to come. 
You've been saved by Jesus for a life of significance right here, right now. And that's why he wants to teach you how and me how to use the resources he's placed in your life. Um, Paul writes this in... Uh, well, well, before we get there, th- here's a couple of quick little things just to keep in your mind about non-anxious hearts and the practices of a non-anxious heart. The practices of a non-anxious heart. Romans 6.11, in the same way, we count ourselves dead to sin but alive to God in Christ. So when God in his word wants to inform our financial life, we go, actually, that's a life-giving invitation from God. And so we lean into that heavily. Um, Ezekiel 36, 26, I'll give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I'll remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Again, this is a whole internal transformation that takes place. Matthew 6, 21, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Have it, just have a look at the money trail. It'll tell you where your heart is. Have a look at what you spent, put, put the money to and it'll show you what where your heart is invested okay um, and Psalm 119 blessed are those who keep his statutes and seek him with all their heart um, Paul's got something else to say about this he's got a few tips here in 1 Corinthians 6 uh, so, sorry that's not that's not the one I wanted Let me read this to you in 2 Corinthians 9, 6 and 7. It's about an attitude of the heart. Paul says, I say this to you. If you sow sparingly, you'll reap sparingly. If you sow bountifully, you will reap bountifully. Let each one do just as he has purposed in his heart. Not grudgingly, not under compulsion, because God loves cheerful givers. We love to give back to God because he's graced our heart and our life with his life. And now we give from His our hearts having been set free and our hearts have become new creations, born again, and we're learning to live from that place. Um, Here's a couple of giving practices that Paul gives out of that 2 Corinthians passage there, or 1 Corinthians passage. He says this, now about the collection for the Lord's people. He's talking to the church in Corinth. Great church, a church on fire with the Holy Spirit, a church that had all sorts of crazy like behaviours going on. It wasn't a perfect church by any means. So don't read it with romance, read it with reality. They had people doing all sorts of stuff. They'd turn up to communion, drunk. I mean, they were just off their nut with some really odd sexual activity as well. But in the midst of this, God called them and said, hey, I'm going to make you my kind of people. And one of the areas that he was speaking into their life as Jesus' people was their use of money. Um, And uh, Paul says this. He says, now about the collection, you know, the bringing in of the monies, do what I told the Galatian church to do. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up so that when I come... Uh, no collections will have been made. That when I arrive, I will give letters of introduction to the men you approve and send them with the money to Jerusalem. And uh, if it seems advisable for me to go also, they will accompany me. 
In other words, Paul was putting just a little bit of a safe, practical distance between him and the money. He's like, don't confuse me with the money. Keep the money, the money. I'm Paul. And uh, he, he, But he gave some really good practical tips. But before we touch that, the first question we have to ask is, what we must contend with is this, Lord, how much do you want me to bring? Now, our pre-Jesus heart is orientated with a response that says, do I have to? (laughs) Do I have to? Because that's a pre-Jesus heart, because that's a heart that doesn't understand it's received grace. It's received this mercy and grace from God and a whole new life. Forgiveness of sin and transformation and thanksgiving now lives there. So, But the pre-Jesus heart says, oh, do I have to do this? The pre-Jesus heart and thinking also says, and this might be the grandfather in your bones, might be saying, you can't afford this. You can't afford this. Again, I would want to suggest that those things are pre-Jesus. Paul's talking to people who know Jesus, met Jesus, are trying to follow Jesus and serve the kingdom with the resources they've been given. And he's saying, here's how to go about it. We ask these because our new hearts of love to give want to give like Jesus gives. So when Jesus gives, what? Well, how does Jesus give? He laid down his whole life. So again, our giving is not just our money. Remember what I said earlier, if we've only got a vision of bringing 10% of our money to the work of the kingdom, we've, we've bought into something way too small compared to what we've actually been saved up into, which is the rule and reign of God filling the earth. So it's like, We're now learning to give from the Lordship of Christ ruling our heart. You know, Nicole and I, we started the journey with the few bucks that we had. And now we just give way and above our 10%. Now, the 10% number is a good Old Testament number. It's a great Old Testament number. If you're an Old Testament Jew living under the Old Covenant, go for it. 10% your heart out. But don't forget to do all the other offerings that are around that. There's a whole heap more, by the way. It's not just 10%. But if you want to live under that covenant, go for it. But it's not the one that Christ has won for you. He's won for you a whole new freedom. That's what Paul's talking about. He's saying to some of these early Jews who are now Christians, he's saying, hey, guys, come out from under the restriction of a number and start living in the generosity of a relationship with a living God who has the well-being of your life at hand and who is on mission and needs you to partner with him for others to find the good news, even as you have. Got to hold all this stuff in play. But as Paul's doing that, uh, Nicole and I, we've discovered a great joy in this. And it really, it's, there's a great sense of freedom about it. But there's always this nagging external presence of the enemy who's wanting to tell us, We'll never have enough, there is never enough, and don't do it. 
We have seen God come through time and time again. I think I shared the story many years ago about how when Nick and I first became parents, we thought we're going to have to start saving for our children's education. And so we did. We like started slipping like 20 bucks a week into this little account thinking this is, account's going to become this huge thing that's going to be able to help pay for our children's education. We built that thing up to about 1500 bucks, and then some friends of ours, we were having coffee with them and they said they needed to have surgery, one of them needed to have surgery and as they were talking about wanting to, needing to have surgery, they didn't have the resources for it. And for some strange reason, out of my mouth came, how much would a surgery like that cost? Well, they said the, they said the 1500 bucks, And I went, oh, we have 1500 bucks." So we, we emptied our children's future education fund to help bring healing to our friend and who, who received physical healing through that operation. And you know what? Our kids have gone all through school. Our daughter's just graduated university, our son's about to start university, and our third child is in year 10. Haven't missed, they haven't missed for anything. God has looked after us all the way. All the way. There's great joy in doing this stuff and realising this stuff. It's a great high priority to be able to follow Jesus and give generously and give generously into the life of a local church. So here's Paul. He says this, giving is an act of worship. Giving is an act of worship. On the day of worship, set aside an offering. On the day of worship. What you're doing when you're bringing money into the, into the church, you're saying as an act of worship to Jesus, you are my king and I esteem you enough to give you in this moment what you're asking me to bring. And there's a great sense of freedom in that. There's no law in that. It's all grace. Now, as I'm talking about this, some of us in this room have spouses that aren't on the same page as each other. That's an awkward, tough conversation. But you just have to have it. Because otherwise you kind of live at, with a sense of distance about this one issue in your, in your marriage or your relationship. And if you, if you leave that thing unsaid, unaddressed, unspoken, the enemy will just have a field day with that and cause anxiety and grief and all sorts of angst in the relationship because it's an unresolved conversation you've got to have the conversation so for those of you who are here seeking to follow jesus and you have a spouse or a life partner who is not following king jesus and is not interested i want to let you know we're praying for you that you could have a sincere conversation about money in your relationship it's really important it's really important to have that conversation. But for those of us who are seeking to follow Jesus, Paul would say this. It's an act of worship. On the day of worship, set aside an offering. Bring this amount. He also says, give systematically. In other words, give regularly and on a systematic way. Now, I read some statistics during the week that are absolutely mind-blowing. They're just stats of the Australian church, the landscape of the Australian church in this whole area of money. The bottom line is this. Only 15% of Christians in the body of Jesus in Australia, 15% 
have no anxiety about their financial life. The other 85% of people seeking to follow Jesus in the body of Christ in Australia are being invited by God to join the other 15%, to come into a life of living a non-anxious response to following God with money and how to serve him. The other thing is this. The stats on this um, little survey, I'll pull them up for you for next weekend, but the stats say this. The more regular you worship with a community of faith, the more regular there is a corresponding downturn in anxiety about financial matters. I don't know what's going on there. I think God likes it when his people get together and he ministers to them his love, his joy and his freedom in all areas of our lives. But one of the fruits of worshipping regularly is anxiety with money slowly teeters away and you become a non-anxious financial giver. So, I mean, the, the graphs are all there, you know, if you attend every fortnight, the anxiety levels measures go up. If you worship once every three weeks, the measures go up. If you measure, there is a reality. What I'm pointing at is there is a reality to why Paul said it's really good to get together and do it at least weekly. There's a supernatural dynamic that takes place in all of that, where the kindness of God meets with his people, and the more regular they meet together, the greater freedom they have to participate in moving from the 85% of anxiety into the 15% of non-anxious kingdom living. I'll leave that conversation for you to have. But give systematically. If we're not giving regularly, it may also be a reflection that we're not worshipping regularly with the saints. Give proportionally to your income. We cannot give what we do not have, yet we can withhold what we have received. In other words, don't make big promises to God if and when. Give from what you actually do have. And there's no, there's no, I get out of this clause because I'm poor in the Bible either. This is an area of life that God wants to bring joy and freedom to for everyone. That's why God's always saying, remember the poor, remember the poor. The people of Jesus, that's why we spend so much time, energy, resource and money serving the poor because it reminds the poor that God has a fruitful life journey for them in Jesus. One called provision. And even though we pour and pour and pour into it, it's at the same time for the follower of Jesus, we come more alive to what God is actually doing. Give proportionally to the income. Now, again, God doesn't say, Paul says, don't promise big. Just put what you actually have on the table and say, God, what do you want me to do with it? You love me. You love the world I'm a part of. How are we going to do this together? And listen. And if you're having trouble listening, get with a few people in a small group, like regularly, and say, are you guys having this conversation? Because I'm having this conversation. And I'm trying to figure it out. Where have you come to? Now, for me and Nick, 
We start where the, where the law finishes in our giving practices. The law finishes at 10%. Grace kicks in over and above. <laughs> That's how we do it. So we're just, we, we start with 10, but we're always like, God, we want to give more. We want to give more. Show us where and how. If you're having a trouble finding a starting point, start with, start with listening and like Corey preached last night, obeying. <laughs> it's like God says this much, that much. Just start there. I start from obedience. That's a good place to start, isn't it, Corey? Fourthly, you can plan your giving in advance. So Paul says, by the time I have arrived, the offering will be in hand. In other words, he's saying to the church, hey, guys, get your act together. We're coming to town. You might want to think about getting an offering together to be able to go and bless another part of the body of Christ. Plan for it. So we do. We sit down at the start of the year and we have a, a general conversation around what we think is going to be the amount of cash flow coming through our house every year. And we just nut it out. Where did we stop? Where did, where was, what did we give last year? Is that what you're asking us to give this year, Lord? What do you want us to do? Do you want us to give more? Because we're, we're always leaning into the more. Because the kingdom of God advances and grows. And so does the lordship of Christ in and through us in our practices in our life. From glory to glory. You know how we like to whip that one out? I'm getting changed from glory to glory. Yes, with giving as well. <laughs> with our money as well. Growing in the things of the kingdom. Start with the mustard seed and let it grow. Um, so plan in advance. But the bottom line is this. God is building his kingdom. He's building it in our, lo- in our hearts, in our local church, in our region. And he's, he's calling to us, come with me. And, and let's learn how Jesus' love and forgiveness and freedom has absolutely tra- is transforming our life from the inside out so that the world might know God is really good and he's for them. And we're going to be these non-anxious bringers of good news into the very lives of the people that we live among and work among. The call from God is to live in this future of his kingdom already breaking in. It's a call to flourishing, life-giving partnership so that his kingdom can advance in the earth. It's about learning to step away from the mentality of scarcity and fear and leaning into the life of generosity and faith. Whether you're a plumber or a prophet, your work is for the king of all of creation. Serving others brings great joy to our lives. Good, healthy giving practices is a call to the greatness of our God. Generous financial giving is an important part of our discipleship and the non-anxious life. New hearts in Jesus do have a new orientation, and that is towards financial generosity and good, healthy stewardship. Just start with some of maybe Paul's practical tips. If If you've stalled it or you've kind of like... Uh, you're not sure about how to get about it, just start with those four practical tips. Dr. Ann Bradley, she says this. Um, 
she says this. She says, this is all about what choices we can make, how we use our resources and how we manage every second as individuals in order to impact the world through the work that God has called us to do with him. Non-anxious kingdom stewards. I'll talk about another time. I'll talk about, well, what do I give and where? I'll talk about some of that fun stuff next time we get together. But today, I think we've just got enough. There's an invitation there from God to get busy about participating with his, his love in our life in the area of finances. Non-anxious kingdom stewards require a revelation from Jesus of just how good and faithful the Father is. That's the wave of the Holy Spirit that God's inviting us to ride with him as a local church just now. And i got to tell you, I'm paddling hard to get on that wave because I want to live in the joy that that wave is inviting me to and the freedom that there is in Christ for this and the joy that it will bring the people that my stewardship of my resources will bring to their life as they meet Jesus. Let's, let's pray. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for um, your word to us, and I just thank you for the wisdom and the life that your word brings to us, and thank you that you love to have these very practical, real-life conversations with us. And I thank you, above all of this, that our hearts have been born again and made new in Jesus. And, and, and we just thank you that the conversation that you're having in our heart shifts us from a disqualification and shifts us into the freedom of participating to realise the joy of the relationship that's involved in this whole thing around money. And I thank you that there's no one in this room right now that has said yes to you who is disqualified from the joy of this invitation. I just, I really believe it, God. I really believe there is so some, something so fundamentally joy-filled in being free to administer our resources in conversation with you. And that the money doesn't own us. But you do. That the money doesn't master us. You are our good master and you help us master the money. And I just, in the name of Jesus, I cancel the power of all of the guilt and slander and works of the enemy over our minds and our thoughts that have shut us down and shut us out from everything that Jesus is inviting us to in this area of our discipleship. Right now, Lord, I pray you speak to every heart. Every heart. Just speak to their heart, Lord, with freedom and grace and give us a vision. Give us a vision of healthy, fruitful stewardship of money. Show our hearts, Lord. I just like, you know, I just... Mm. 
I like a good laugh at the best of times, you know? I really do, and I really feel like God just wants to bring us into a whole bunch of joy around this stuff. And the whole, when the whole money thing comes around, you know, the bags go around or the offerings go up or whatever, it's like the whole, the whole like grief and heaviness and sadness and disappointment stuff would just be washed away in his kindness. And there's joy, just joy, <laughs> joy. Thank you, Lord. I pray blessing over everyone in this place, Lord, the generosity of your kingdom. The generosity of your kingdom. Give us vision, Lord. Bigger than money. It's way, way bigger. Mm, It's so much bigger. Give us vision, Holy Spirit. Right in our heart where Jesus is reigning. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit. I just declare in the name of Jesus... Freedom, freedom over everyone's financial circumstances in Jesus' name. The freedom to follow God, the freedom to live in faith, the freedom to walk in, in, uh, away from fear and anxiety, but bring our cares to him because you care for us in this area, God. Hmm. Let go of the big promises that you've made to God. Let them go. Let go of the big promises you've made to God of what you're going to do when you get it, when you get money. Let it go. And just welcome the fact that you're right here, right now, in this moment, you have what's in your hands. Use it for his glory and your joy, knowing that he cares for you. Thank you, Heavenly Father.